Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 336. Today's episode is all about rising from self-loss, reclaiming yourself, and anchoring your authentic identity. I think there's so many decisions that we make without intention. And I think that that's incredibly dangerous because that's when a lot of us get lost. There's nothing intentional. There's no check-ins. We're not adjusting. We're not attuning. We're just doing. And I think that that not only leads to self-loss a lot of the times, but it is one of the least fulfilling ways to live our lives. Because you're not experiencing, like, part of me when I listen to you talk about your 20s, what I see and what's so beautiful is, like, your constant fight to feel something. Mine was just so dark. I became so numb and there was no more fight. And I think that that's the danger of autopilot as well is you completely shut off. It's almost as if you're not there and not feeling like you're there was a really scary space for me. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Mind love is a habit. And the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Maybe you've been in a relationship where you ended up blending so much into their world, their likes and dislikes, that you lost sight of your own. Or maybe growing up, you learned to put everyone else first to get by and then carried that habit into adulthood. Or you've chased down all the milestones of success that society laid out only to realize that they don't actually make you feel fulfilled. Like there's a piece missing, right? I've lost myself quite a few times in pretty much all of my earliest relationships. Actually, all the way back to grade school. It's odd when I think about it. I was trying to stand out and blend in at the same time. And somehow I managed to pull it off, but it was confusing to say the least. It's clear to me now that most of my earliest and most significant traumas even stemmed from this deep-seated desire to belong. Bulimia wasn't just a battle with my body, it was like a desperate attempt to mold myself into the narrow definitions of beauty. My most traumatic relationship was essentially a quest for acceptance and love. Even my first jobs weren't really what I wanted to do, it was more about chasing the allure of a good salary. It was like being in this constant back and forth between wanting to be my true self and trying to fit in with everyone else. I wanted to stand out, but at the same time, I didn't want to feel left out. Each time I compromised a piece of myself, it was under the belief that it would help me fit in or achieve success. By the time I had realized how much these compromises cost me, the damage was done. The real issue was that I hadn't just sidelined my dreams. I hadn't even spent enough time looking inward to truly understand what those dreams were in the first place. And as a result, I just kept reinforcing the habit or the neural pathways of seeking validation or finding direction externally, all while my own voice and power atrophied like a muscle that you don't use. But the truth is, being true to yourself, even when it's hard, is the only path to genuine fulfillment and inner peace. So the question is, how do you get back to yourself when you've gone too far? Or even when you've never quite found yourself in the first place? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Sarah Kubrick. She's an existential psychotherapist, consultant, and author of It's On Me. She's passionate about helping people seek change and live authentic, free, and meaningful lives. And her interest in psychology stems from her own personal experience of literally living through wars, navigating complex relationships, and just continually learning what it means to be human. 
So three key things we will learn are the hidden phenomenon of self-loss that might be dictating your life choices without you even knowing it. How to differentiate between empowering yourself and using authenticity as an excuse for unhelpful behaviors. And the most powerful questions to ask yourself to unveil your life's purpose. Also, if you just can't wait to dive into this topic and everything I've said so far has you nodding along like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, would love clarity on who I am, vision, I don't even know what my big life vision is, or maybe you have a hint, but you just can't get yourself to make progress on it. I need to tell you about a once in a lifetime opportunity. Soul Strength Activation launches this week. And as of right now, we only have two spots left, which means probably by the time you're hearing this, we only have one spot left. So we're going to be accessing your inner power. That's figuring out your unique gifts, your vision, who you truly are, that authentic version of you. Then we'll reprogram your mind for unshakable self-belief so that you stop talking yourself out of the life that you're meant to live and then create the life that truly fulfills you so that you never wake up with that pit in your stomach that one more year has gone by and nothing has changed ever again. And there are so many perks with this founding group. So send me an email, melissa at mindlove.com. We'll hop on a call and see if we can squeeze you in this group so that your life can start to change now. I really hope you join us. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Sarah Kubrick to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I have been loving your book. I was just chatting with you before we started recording, but the concepts in your book are something that I talk about all the time. It's a huge part of my message, yet I didn't have the term for it of being self-loss. And so what inspired you to examine self-loss before we get into all the good and bad that it is? (laughs) (laughs) All the goodies. I think my personal experience, honestly, is what drove me to to study self-loss. And it's something that I experienced. And as you said, so many of us talk about it. We just lack the vocabulary around it. And I think that there's a sense of brokenness and isolation that comes with it and deep, deep unhappiness. But when you use those words, it doesn't seem like enough where people don't understand what the cause is or, or why we're existing that way. And so as I was going through my own episode, I would call it of self-loss, then at the same time, I started doing research on moral injury and the, the phrase self-loss kept coming up in my research. And so the two together, here we are today. <laughs> so explain what self-loss is and how we can identify if we're experiencing it. So self-loss is being estranged, lacking congruency or alliance. Alliance, I like how I say that, alignment (laughs) with ourselves. Thank you. That was really great. So yeah, it's, it's just feeling like I had this moment of looking in a mirror and not recognizing the person staring back at me. And I think that that's a really powerful and unnerving position to be in. I think I would also must start to observe myself in terms of I would see the actions I was making and I didn't understand why. <laughs> or I would go like, that makes no sense. Like, what was I thinking was such a common phrase for me. Like, what was I thinking? There was so much regret in so many things that I did. And so I think it's a visceral response and it's a very disorienting sort of position to be in. It's a disorienting experience. And then I have a second definition that's self-loss is our failed responsibility to be ourself. And that's the less nice (laughs) definition, probably a more hard truth definition in terms of what I'm trying to say is self-loss was created by you. Self-loss 
is a product of how we have shown up in the world for the most part. That is what I coach people on is actually figuring out who they are. And it's so Mm. counterintuitive because why do we know, you know, like why are so many people confused about who they are? Why does it take deep work to figure out who our true selves are? Why are we getting swept into the day-to-day motions of a life that isn't truly fulfilling to us? Like all these questions seem like they should have clear answers. And so I'm curious, did you ever wonder if people experienced self-loss in like the 1700s or is it just this cycle of distraction (laughs) and disconnection that we have because of we're always in our phones? (laughs) No, that's such a good question. I think it depends how much your basic needs are met. I also understand that the question of who am I is a really privileged question to have. Because if your question is, how am I going to afford food or how am I going to feed my children or how am I going to survive my next chemo session like I understand that who am I might not be at the forefront and that question sometimes does come with a bit of privilege and so what I'm noticing is that perhaps our generation versus the 1900s (laughs) has been more privileged and space to ask these questions and obviously that's a generalized statement but then at the same time as you said I think our sense of identity is so mudded and so difficult to identify it because we have so many distractions so many expectations so many pressures and then we are also constantly stimulated and told who we should be so I think there's something really unique about existing right now in this very moment because I don't think our minds have ever been bombarded by information just as much I have been reflecting recently on just the different messages that this up-and-coming generation have compared to ours. Mm. And there's so much progress in certain aspects. Like, we're actually allowed to talk about mental health. There's some Mm. things that look like progress that I question. I feel like we're really encouraging people to be lesser versions of themselves (laughs) in some aspects. It's like... Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, like, it's okay that this, it's okay that that. I'm like, you might die young from that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like, okay, if you want to just coddle that, coddle your complacency. I just wrote on social media. It's a hard thing to say. There's a balance because we also... I know from going through my own deep struggles with things like an eating disorder, really beating myself up, like my body, things like that. Shame didn't help at all. But I don't think there would have been much healing if somebody just kept telling me, it's okay, you're bulimic, life is hard, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh my God, you bring such a good, con- like, oh, I'm so glad you're talking about it. I do think that, and I'm going to tread carefully here. But I do think that mental health has become an excuse to not take responsibility and not for individuals who are actually struggling with mental health so much as those who recognize a symptom or two. And they're like, then they use that vocabulary and that kind of takes away the responsibility for how they show up. And then, you know, I do think that we're also responsible to heal. And so that responsibility shouldn't be taken away from us. And I do think it's difficult, even words like authenticity, it's now just used as an excuse to be a complete, I won't swear, but it, you it, like say it. an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> it's just, do you know? And people are like, well, I'm just being authentic. Don't dim my light. And it's like, well, we're in trouble because I do think that we're overcorrecting. And I'm so glad that we're, destigmatizing mental health. And I'm so glad that we're talking about things and giving people space for their voice. But I do think we're also weaponizing it. And we're also using it as an excuse to get away with behaviors that are not healthy. And so that's a really, as you said, that is such a hard line to toe and to know what to call out, what not to call out and respect and honor and value those who are genuinely struggling. And then also call out those individuals who are just using the vocabulary because it serves them. Yeah. It's like, if that is your authentic self, (laughs) you might need to reach deeper. (laughs) You know, you're just barely at the rim of the asshole, like dive in, (laughs) figure out your crap. (laughs) No, seriously. And also like, if that is your authentic self, quote unquote, 
Is that who you want to be? It is not an excuse. If you go right now and you look in a mirror and you go, Sarah, I'm an asshole. I would respect that. Be like, great. You called yourself out. You recognize it for what it is. <laughs> yeah. But then what you have to do is figure out the responsibility for that of like, now that I've recognized who I am, am I going to keep being that person? And if you go, I'm comfortable with being an asshole and I want to keep being one, then that is on you. And I think that that's the distinction. No one is perfect. But I think it's important to take responsibility for that imperfection and see what you're going to do about it moving forward. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And speaking back to that whole, like being too graceful with, <laughs> with those yeah. things, it's, I think there's something to be said about not losing hope that we can make progress. And so mm. I hesitate to use the word change because one of the things I, I found is that my transformation wasn't necessarily about becoming completely different. It was about sort of shoveling away all the crap, healing back the layers so I could actually be me. All those habits, all those characteristics that might have been negative that at one point maybe I said, this is who I am. Mm. A lot of times those were survival mechanisms. They were my defenses to protect myself, to not be rejected, to not be hurt, to whatever it is, not let myself down sometimes. And I mm. recognize my spiral of self-destruction was often that. It was like, well, so often I can just use it even as a binge. I remember it's like I would, I was always limiting what I ate and then I'd eat one bite too much. And I'm like, well, mm. I've already gone over that line. Might mm. as well go as far as I can. And I think we do that in a lot of areas of our lives. I, I dated a gambling ab addict for a while and uh, I, he had a number of other issues, but I saw that same spiral with him. We'd be at the casinos and it's like, 
all of a sudden he'd like realize he was losing and he'd just be pumping hundreds into the high limit machine, like trying to lose it all so he could go into his own hole of despair. And so I've noticed that so often when, when things start going wrong, people are like, well, it's all going to shit anyways. And then they just keep digging that hole. <laughs> keep digging the hole. And I think part of that is our, our like all or nothing mindset. Yeah. And I think that's why the thing, the conversation about your sense of self is so important because people think it's static. And when you think it's static, then it's all or nothing. I changed myself or I didn't change myself. And now I'm a completely different version of myself. For example, I don't love the new year, new me, because there's no new you. That just get it's impossible. The old you is going to inform who you become now, which means you're, you can never be fully separated from who you were uh, December 31st, 2023. And I think our desire to categorize things and to, as you said, go all in is because we're so uncomfortable with the gray. We're so uncomfortable with the fact that our past does inform our future, <laughs> that who you are is absolutely fluid. We don't like these things because they're really difficult to grasp. And then we realize, I think, also the responsibility of it, because if who you were will always inform who you become. And by the way, you get to choose how it informs, but it will inform. Then we start to think how every single decision is incredibly important and how it's something that's going to stay with us until we die. And so I think that there's many reasons as to why we struggle to be in the gray while I think the whole existence is in the gray. And so the all or nothing is something we need to be really careful with because it's this is why after... January 15th, everyone just lets go of their goals. Or why when people do self-work and then they scream at their boyfriend, they go, well, you know what? I couldn't change. I couldn't crack it. So now I'm just going to be the girl that screams at her boyfriend. And it's like, well, you could be the girl that once screamed at her boyfriend because she was still learning and because that was a pattern she was trying to undo. And the next time you're not going to be the girl that screams at her boyfriend. And so I think just holding all the ends and the possibilities and the setbacks is so important, but almost impossible if we're doing the all or nothing. For sure. I mean, so often I had to sit there and think, well, it's been for years. Bulimia just keeps coming up as like the mm. perfect, really extreme example of all of this. But mm -hmm. it happened in so many other areas of big changes. That's what I figured out my superpower is, is just transformation overall. I've made some really Love big that. changes in all of the areas of my life. But what I had to learn was that those slip ups, just as you were explaining, was if I beat myself up about that and thought this is square one, then it became almost impossible to have a sustainable change because for so long it was like, okay, well, I went a whole month without binging and purging and then it would happen and it's like, oh, square one. And so it would send me in a spiral of like six more months for a while. And then when I started to say, well, you know, there was actually 30 days before the last one. That's progress. And counting that as a win, mm, even though technically amazing. it was a slip up, it changed the way that I viewed that and it gave me more stamina. So I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the whole streak model. I like it with like my meditations and things like that. But even then I had like 300 days of meditations last year and then I lost it because I was like <gasps> super pregnant and I was like, no, and I didn't meditate for like three weeks. And I was like, this is why you don't do this. This is the streak is so hard. I really like intentions. I like, you know, being dedicated to your lifestyle, but having like goals with numbers. And I understand that with certain things, that's great. But when it comes to your mental health, that can become so unhealthy and so toxic. And so again, I just try to really visualize it as like our stream that's flowing and you're in and out of that stream. And that represents whatever it needs to represent for you. But for me with trauma, for example, I would say, due to my fairly early childhood trauma with wars, I was super distrusting of people. And so when you say all or nothing, my version of that was like being overly open, overly vulnerable in inappropriate times. <laughs> and that would happen so rarely because most of the time I was a vault and I was completely isolated because I didn't trust anyone. And then once in a while I would swing to the opposite where I would just divulge everything and then be horrified and mortified. And sometimes that 
was completely inappropriate. And then that would backfire. And then I would go, okay, so the vault is the answer to this. People cannot be trusted. And so I would reinforce my own behavior. (laughs) And that was my extreme of like, I'm going to tell you everything. I'm going to be so transparent and so vulnerable with you, even if I wasn't sure you were a safe person, or I would keep people away that I shouldn't have. And so that's an interesting all or nothing behavior that I noticed as kind of a consequence of my trauma. I did the same thing (laughs) and I didn't really realize it until you were saying that I was like, Oh, that was my issue. I'm like, why sometimes am I way too open? It was probably sitting on the bathroom counter at four in the morning doing cocaine at the age of 24 or something like that. And that's going to spill out some of your deep, dark secrets, but (laughs) adding to the shame spiral of the next morning. But your story is, uh, gosh, when I got to that part in your book, I was jaw dropped. Share with us what you went through. When I was nine, I immigrated to Canada. But before that, I was living in the Balkans. So I was born in Bosnia. And then after that war started, the Bosnian war started, I moved to Serbia. And then several years after that, the NATO bombings started. And so shortly after the bombings ended, we immigrated to Canada. And it was really fascinating because I always knew that that was part of my story, but I didn't really know what role it played in my story. So I remember going to therapy in my 20s and me casually bringing up the fact that I've lived through some conflict and her being like, um, excuse me, do you want to sit and pause on that? And so here's why I'm sharing that. The trauma of that, which now I very much realize was there, was so normalized by my community that's also survived the same thing and my family who was also there that I didn't really understand that it was traumatic or not normal. I just kind of assumed everyone had hard things they went through in childhood, which is true, by the way. And this was just my version of that. I didn't give it much airtime and I didn't understand how this particular event would have impacted my well-being. And Only in my 20s did I start to unpack just how traumatizing that was and just how much it dictated my life. I was not free. I was not making intentional choices. I was not my authentic self. And I just had no idea I was lost. And that's an interesting concept of like, when you understand you're lost, your world crumbles and you go, what now? But so many of us live for extended periods of time without actually realizing that we're lost. And that was me until my mid twenties when I had my very first panic attack on a flight and I thought I was going to die. And I went into paralysis. My, I lost the function of my arms and my speech eventually. And that was a moment where I realized that I was about to die, quote unquote, but I haven't lived and that I have no idea that I have sacrificed a lot for other people and that I've genuinely mistreated myself in terms of like this person's dying. You didn't even get to meet this person. This person didn't even get to do what she wanted to do. And that was a massive wake up call that got me to realize. I think that was the realization of, oh my gosh, I am lost. So yeah, it's interesting how formative trauma (laughs) for me, took about two decades before I actually faced it, realized what it was. And I'm sure there's many people like me. Isn't it wild how a panic attack can ultimately be a gift in hindsight? Mm -hmm. Huge. And I try to be really cautious saying that because trust me, I had panic attacks for two years and anyone struggling with them, I know it does not feel like a gift. But I think my panic attack saved my life. I was so deeply unhappy And I would say I was existentially dead. And I think unless it threatened me to that extent, I would have kept living my life. Um, There's no way I would have implemented a change because when I looked at my life at that time, I was doing all the right things. I feel like we had very different 20s (laughs) from what I'm hearing. I was doing all the right things. I was in grad school. I was excelling. I was part of my community and giving back. I had a home. I got married. Like I just... I was taking off the pretty little boxes. And so there was nothing in my life that would have indicated to me that like, wow, you really need to change something. And I was so unhappy, but I was forcing it so hard because that's what society told me I should be doing. And they told me I should be happy about it. And so the funny thing is after my panic attack, 
I try to ignore it still <laughs> for so long, like until I literally couldn't function, until the the attacks became so frequent. I started to just cycle through panic attacks to the point where I couldn't leave my room. That's the point at which I was like, I need to go to therapy and figure this out. But it's interesting how much we want to deny and suppress and ignore things that we don't want to change. The power of the human mind will <laughs> fascinates me so much. But yes, my panic attack, I think overall was a huge gift. It's interesting too, how, like you said, we had very different twenties. I followed, mm, I got to back up. I almost said I followed all the rules. I've never been a rule follower. I've been a <laughs> be perceived as a rule follower, but be doing everything around the rules on the sidelines. <laughs> but uh, I was like, you know, straight A student, honor student, Amazing. went to college and everything. But I went through a series of different traumas, like sexual assault, my dad dying, a friend wow. dying of uh, suicide. And I just didn't know how to handle it at all. And I really thought I was not being affected by this. Like I really believed that. And I would actually look at people who would like their stories on TV about somebody being sexually assaulted and it ruining their life. And I'm like, weak. Like I, like I really <laughs> thought these things and I'm like, well, how do people yeah. just let stuff bother them? Meanwhile, I'm totally self-sabotaging and I am seeking attention in all the wrong ways, just really wanting to be loved and doing it in the wrong ways, like promiscuity for several years, being with the wrong people, just doing whatever I could to like make them feel loved, hoping they'd shine a little bit back on me. And I ended up dating somebody who was secretly robbing houses. I went to jail for his crime and I'm just like, something needs to save my soul right now. And when yeah. I got out, I started making changes and I just realized I needed to make meaning from it. But it's just so interesting how Two totally different stories leads to the same place of just complete self-loss and this realization that something needs to change and I need to, <laughs> so it's like, I don't, it doesn't matter how you get there. You can, no. it doesn't matter what your story is. It's that your story somehow led you to a realization or at least a nagging feeling that mm -hmm. something is, is off or that you don't really know yourself. And, but like you mentioned, really cool. that self is just hard to grasp and we don't like things like that. And so you have three ingredients for really kind of getting a handle on the self. What are those? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash MindLove. You have three ingredients for really kind of getting a handle on the self. What are those? So freedom, choice, and responsibility. <laughs> when I was writing that, I chuckled. I was like, this is dry. <laughs> you need to be drinking water while you read that. Like it's just, And that's because I think the self doesn't exist until it's fully expressed. And I often find people who go, I'm going to go into isolation and figure this out. I'm just going to journal. I'm going to go on a mountaintop and I'm just going to figure out who I am. And although lovely, and I think a very great way to maybe create some space and push 
past expectations and pressures also not super helpful because you cannot exist in isolation from society or most of us choose not to. And because who you thought you were is only going to become you once you start acting like it. And what I find fascinating is people go, I'm so patient and kind. I'm so patient and kind. Like, I'm the best. And I love it. I'm like, great. Then you see them driving <laughs> and they are honking. They're swearing. They're whatever, right? And zero problems with that. But what's interesting is that their actions now do not align with who they thought they were. So what do we do with that type of information? You can either change your behavior, stop honking and swearing, and then you can be like, this is who I am. I am patient and I'm kind. Or you can change your narrative and go, I am patient and kind until I'm in a car. (laughs) Or I'm not patient, I'm not kind. And so what I think is important in this example is just to realize that like, there's going to be a car moment. There has to be a real life moment that actually solidifies who you think you are. And so this is where your choice is. I think we're free. We're not ultimately limitlessly free. We're free within the constraints of what life has done to us. So I'm not free to be taller. Like there are some things I'm not free to do. And for some people, a lot of freedom has been taken away and for others less. So we do operate within the freedom that has been given to us, but we have more freedom than we think. And I think the freedom of our attitude and the freedom of our choices is almost always there. And so how you show up, how you choose to think about something, how you choose to position yourself about something can almost never be taken away. And I use Viktor Frankl as an example of living through a concentration camp and still feeling a sense of freedom in terms of what his attitude is. And so I think that really talks about like how free we are as humans. And then choice, being very deliberate, realizing that you are creating the self. I don't think the self is ever found. I think the self is created. And so if you realize that you're creating the self, then every single choice makes a really big difference. You're either in alignment or you're not. There is no, we don't like this. There is no neutral ground. There's no decision that's neutral. There's a decision that brings you closer to who you want to be and who you are and or further away. And then responsibility, which is my favorite in terms of you are responsible for the way that you live your life. And there's no one else that can be responsible. I understand that there is circumstances that make it a lot harder, but there is no alternative. You can never say someone else is fully responsible for the way I live my life. And so I think really responsibility is not even my attempt to blame anyone because why? (laughs) We're all in it together. It is a way to empower you, to let you know how much freedom and choice you have and that you can construct. You're the architect of your life and you're responsible to create something, but you're also free to create whatever you want. And I think that that's really, really cool. And I use Chad as an example. I don't know if you read the Chad example, but like Chad had something difficult happen in high school. His parents got divorced. His first girlfriend cheated on him. And now Chad is in his mid-30s mistreating his partners constantly. My question is, at what point is Chad responsible? Right? Like, I understand the explanation. I empathize with the explanation. But... That's not a justification. At some point, Chad has to go, I understand my parents traumatized me by doing this, or I understand that this was really difficult, but I have to take responsibility for how I show up. It is not a hall pass for the rest of your life. And people are always like, yeah, because, you know, the people he's dating really deserve more. And Cassie, who's waiting for his calls, she deserves better. First of all, that's Cassie. That's on Cassie. Her choosing to be in that relationship is on Cassie. But I actually think that Chad should change for Chad. Chad is operating from a really wounded space that's not going to give him genuine connection or love or belonging or allow himself to express who he is. And we know that if you can't express yourself, you kind of cease to be yourself. So Chad has a lot on the line. So I want Chad to take responsibility, not to blame him, not to help the people he's dating, but to actually heal and move forward with a life that's meaningful. 
when I was listening to the Chad story, I had somebody in mind that I'm just like, <laughs> I need to send this to his partner. <laughs> They're going through all this stuff and it's the exact same thing. And I'm just like, oh, you're aware of the stories that you heard or the, the terrible models of relationships that you saw before. And every time you have a little mini downward spiral, you're like, this is why I don't do relationships, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you've got two kids. It is time to get over this. You're literally, I'm watching you traumatize them with your behaviors right now. You're passing this down. You're like, let go of the story I can only have so much sympathy. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. And I think this is where I don't love when we get crazed with certain phrases on Instagram. And one of them is the inner child have nothing against the concept of inner child or the original concept of the inner child. What I do have an issue with is people going, wow, my inner child is the reason why I'm acting out these ways. And they're so wounded. I just need to hold them. No, you need to reparent your inner child. You are now an adult. And I think it's so great that you can recognize the child in you or the wounded parts in you or the source of your pain Again, I do not think it excuses current day actions. We need to understand that we're not a child anymore and that we are an adult. And again, the reparenting, I think it's really important. And it might even take you years to do that. I'm not saying this is an easy thing. You think your way out of it and you just change it in a second. But I think using things like that as an excuse not to heal your inner child, not to move forward, not to take responsibility is a big issue. And so sometimes I feel like pop psychology gets becomes quite toxic in a lot of regards. And now people are just sharing their traumas or their wounds or their pain and then going, well, that's what it is. And I think it's like, well, that was the first step of this process called healing. So let's not stop here. Let's start here. I met this girl at an event and she was just one of those girls that was like total character. She comes up to me, first words, no joke. Oh my God, you're too skinny. Sorry, that's my trauma talking. <laughs> it's just like, wait, I don't know if I loved or hated everything about that. Yeah. I, what <laughs> angle am I looking at it from? But I'm that's going to sit with me forever. But you're right. Like we've got these buzzwords and we keep it as a buzzword or as an excuse to continue down our current path rather than looking at it as a potential method out. And I have this thing with labels. We all love mm. labels. I learned I'm, I'm an empath and I went down the rabbit hole, read all the books. I learned mm -hmm. I'm a type four, my human design or my Myers-Briggs, all the things. Mm -hmm. I love it for a while. And even some of those things stick with me for a long period of time. However, what I've found for myself and what I've witnessed in a number of other people is that labels are helpful if you're using them as a tool, not as something to hide behind or something to lean on. Uh -huh. And so it's like, yeah, I figured out for me, figuring out it as an empath was really eye opening. I was like, oh, this explains so much. But at some point, I have to also see, okay, this is a gateway to a lot of emotional regulation and understanding. And now it's not really something I think about quite as often anymore because I found the tools because of that label. And exactly. I decided to move on. <laughs> Here's my hesitation with it. One, it's quite restrictive. It's like you're now in a box, in a category. And maybe not all of you fits in there, right? The second thing why I think it just shows the human need to figure out who they are because we're so desperate for something to tell us. Like how many tests exist to be like, this is me, MBTI, the a million things. And again, as you said, if they're tools, sure. But so many of us take it on as our personality and as our identity. And what that's doing is going, now I don't have to do the hard work. Some I have taken this two-hour test. Someone has explained who I am, and this is who I am. And I think that's the danger of it. It's like, this is who you are maybe in this very moment. And after a conversation, after reading a book, you might be a different version of yourself. Also, who you are might not fully fit into that description. And the danger of being committed to that description is that those parts of you are now being ignored or suppressed. 
And so I understand the human need to know who we are. I sometimes just think it's ironic that we want others to tell us. We want a tool to tell us. We want our therapist to tell us. We want our friends to tell us because I do think it's unnerving and hard to figure it out on your own. Red flag number one, if all you had to do is connect your Facebook profile and it's spinning out <laughs> a little image and tells you what Disney princess you are, you might want to look deeper. But I completely I love it. agree about the my friends that seem most committed to labels tends to be human design. And it is a fascinating area because it, it gets so detailed and I know a lot of people have found a lot of healing in it but That's for me awesome. personally by the way I've never done it so I don't know I'm not <laughs> suggesting it's a bad thing I just can see some dangers with things like that yes and that is exactly what you said is what I was just telling my husband like a month ago was around the idea of even if this is so wildly accurate, there's something lost when somebody tells you and you're mm. not finding it yourself. You're not understanding how to pull that information out of you. And so, yes. yeah, you can even use it for a while. Maybe it's it gives scratches that surface, but then how can you use what you learn to dig even deeper, to find the nuances of yourself? Because no test is ever going to pinpoint you completely. And again, is you align with it now, but then once you work on all those things, you explore the things that points you to all that, then who are you? Are you still the exact same thing? Do you just move on to a different test maker? <laughs> like what's yeah. your plan? And you didn't do the process of discovering is what I hear you saying. And so yes. you don't have the actual tool of how to do it. So when that result stops being relevant, you're back to square one. And this is also why therapists don't sit you down and then just analyze you. I know there's a lot of jokes and shrink TV shows, and perhaps there is an awareness sometimes that you will have about a client, but you won't tell them until most of the time until they discover it themselves. It needs to be theirs. They need to have worked for that piece of insight, for that piece of whatever discovery because then it's theirs and they put sweat and tears into it and they also know how to do it again and so part of figuring out who you are is not being able to look in a mirror and go this is who I am it's knowing how to continuously discover and create who you are and I love Sartre no actually I think it was Kierkegaard he's like you can't look in a mirror and go this is who I am you can go this is who I am now because who you are is in the past and in your future. And so you're always perpetually becoming. And I like that. Again, it's that fluidity and it's going, this is who I am in this moment. And ask me in five minutes, I should have a slightly different answer. Right. And if the grid went down and you can't access your human design, <laughs> then, <laughs> you know, unless you have a printout, be sure to print that out. But yeah. but there's self-trust. And that mm. has been the biggest ingredient to my consistent evolution is over time, I figured out a process to really trust myself to become, to learn, to grow, to be self-aware. And so that self-trust is built through habits and action and evidence that you create yourself. And so if you're always reaching outside of yourself, the example I love to use is like my relationship with directions. I used to be amazing at directions. Oh my goodness. Back when I remember when I moved to Hawaii for a while and I was like printing out what was the maps back then? It was not Google Maps, MapQuest. <laughs> I was like MapQuesting things, printing it out. I, I took that. a wrong turn. And I'm like, oh my God, I was lost for like 45 minutes. But then you drill it in because your mind's making yeah. all these neural connections. Now, half the time I go to the grocery store and I'm like, let me just put it in Google Maps to see if they're suggesting an alternate route <laughs> due to traffic. And I don't trust driving by myself. And your life is, it turns out to be that way if you're always reaching outside of yourself for the answers. Oh, I love that. And the autopilot example, I mean, which is literally driving with Google or an autopilot, it's, it's doing things because that's how you've done them. It's doing things because that's how people told you to do it. And I think so many of us are on autopilot. We wake up and it's just, we're not even thinking. I'm not even like, Sarah, do you want to take some deep breaths right now? Do you want to actually 
do that skincare part it can be as silly as like hey have you thought about like do you want to put vitamin c on your face today <laughs> have you checked in with your skin does it actually like it or you're breaking out and not even paying attention as to why you're breaking out and you keep doing the same routine because that's your routine and so i, I think there's so many decisions that we make without intention and i think that that's incredibly dangerous because that's when a lot of us get lost there's nothing intentional. There's no check-ins. We're not adjusting. We're not attuning. We're just doing. And I think that that not only leads to self-loss a lot of the times, but it is one of the least fulfilling ways to live our lives. Because you're not experiencing, like, part of me, when I listen to you talk about your 20s, what I see and what's so beautiful is, like, your constant fight to feel something. It's like, maybe they'll love me, but still there was that, like, I want to feel this and I want to feel connected. And I think that's so beautiful because mine was just so dark. I was so numb. I don't even think I had the fight that you had. I was just, I surrendered. I was like, this is it. And then I'm going to die. And who knows when I'll die. And I wasn't that scared of death because I was like, fine, then my time's up. Do you know what I mean? And that's, that's because it became I became so numb and there was no more fight. And I think that that's the danger of autopilot as well is you completely shut off. It's almost as if you're not there and not feeling like you're there was a really scary space for me. You know, thank you for that. Sometimes somebody says something, it gives me a different perspective. And part of my healing has been having more grace for that girl because she did make so many really dumb, misguided choices and I went through a period of time where I was just like, especially when I first started sharing my story, I was just like, oh, that girl, totally different from who I am. And then I realized that in doing that, I was disconnecting from a big piece of me. And she's the girl who got me here. She's the one who took those initial steps, who realized that this wasn't working anymore, even though the universe had to punch her in the face a few times instead of just <laughs> taking a gentle whisper. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're working towards that. I listen a little bit better now. It's and amazing. so, yeah, thank you for just reflecting that back because I was like, oh, there's another facet of grace I'm going to sprinkle on you. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad. There is this other line in your book that was another shift for me. You talked about how without meaning, our existence cannot be fulfilled. And existence means to create something out of one's being. And what I loved about that is that so often the word exist is used synonymously with the autopilot when mm -hmm. it shouldn't be because existence is what we're here. We're in our existence. But people are like, I want to live, not just exist. And it's like, and then there's this other movement where it's like, well, all you really need to do is exist and you're valuable. And so this really kind of merges those two things. What does it mean? Thank you. I actually had so many discussions with my editorial team about this because they're like, Sarah, to exist is passive. To live is active. And I was like, nope. <laughs> I was like, that's not how I see it. And I think there is this like to exist, as you said, is almost like the bare minimum, the autopilot, the unfulfillment. And yet I think existing, it's a verb, it's an action, it's Im implementation of your will, it's creation. And so I, for me, existence is such a huge thing and existing is what gives us fulfillment. And so I'm glad that you liked that because I, I understood when I wrote that section of like, I am reframing, I am taking back this vocabulary as an existentialist. I just really wanted to take back the vocabulary because I thought it was really unfair to say you're existing. You're just existing. That's so sad. No, the fact that you're existing is a beautiful, meaningful thing and it's your playground and you can use it however you choose to. I'm so glad. I love taking back words. I still have a goal to take back the word woke, but they can have it for a few more years. I don't want it right now. I need some separation from it. That's a heavy one. Good luck. <laughs> so when we're finding this meaning, we've talked a lot about, you know, what that self-loss looks like, this new view of, of reconnecting with ourself. But a big part of this is finding that meaning. And so say somebody's sitting there and like, oh my God, this autopilot sounds like me. Mm -hmm. I do feel disconnected. I don't know really who I am. What is that first step to getting clarity around that? So the other misconception or something we don't talk about is the link between meaning and your sense of self. How can you have meaning if you don't know who you are? 
I really struggle with that. It's saying like this tool should be used for this purpose without knowing what the tool is. Your meaning will be derived from doing things that align and hold value to you and allow you to express yourself, allow you to be in the world in a way that's authentic to you. And unless you know who you are, it's going to be quite difficult to feel like you have a meaningful life. Now, to make it easier or bite-sized, I always go, go back to values. What do you value? And people will go, I don't know. It's totally fair. Then I'll go, great. Write out everything you did in one day. I woke up, I brushed my teeth. I had coffee. I looked at my phone or maybe I looked at my phone as I was peeing and showering and right as I was in bed, right? Like it doesn't matter, but I want it to be like this really annoying third grade diary entry where it's like, dear diary, today I woke up and like that kind of vibe. And then look for where you spend most of your time. Then look for when you were perhaps the happiest or sparked the most joy. Look at these two categories and that will point to your values. And it's really fascinating that the way you live your life inevitably will show you glimpses of your values. Now, that doesn't mean you're living them out in the most authentic or even healthy way, but you will realize if health is a value. You will realize if connection is a value. Even if you're gaming and talking to your friends, even if you're just on Instagram all the time, sliding into people's DMs, I'm not saying Instagram is a value for you, but maybe connection is. And so it can become, because we do tend to gravitate towards things that give us some meaning in life or else we wouldn't want to live. And so finding those things, regardless of how they're manifesting, can be such a great way to start. How do you start to differentiate when it's coming from you and when it's coming from some sort of outside pressure or expectation, because I can look back and like, say you did give this activity to like my 24 year old self. Maybe I would have thought I was more into fashion back then, but really I was just trying to look hot or maybe, you know, like yeah. coming from the wrong place. Totally. And I think if you were like, I love fashion, I wouldn't say that was a value. I would go, why do you like fashion? So if you're like, I want to look hot, I'd be like, why do you want to look hot? And they'd be like, because I want to be loved. And I'd go, great. that's when we've made it like what the keep asking but why by why by why and then you're like well I want to feel like I belong I want to connect I want to serve I want to and I think that's when we get to the value so it's not the first answer sometimes we have to dig a bit deeper to figure out what is actually driving that behavior I wanted to say something else as you were speaking and now Now I can't remember, but I know that Viktor Frankl, someone asked him like, what is the meaning of life? And he laughed and he (laughs) essentially said, it would be like asking a chess master, master, what is the best chess move? He (laughs) says, I can't tell you that. It depends on your context. And I think it's really important to realize that like what brings you meaning is also going to change. And for me, meaning is not the end goal. It's the journey. So every day you're doing something that brings you meaning. And then you're going to look back and go, I had a meaningful life. I don't think it's about striving towards one overarching goal so that when you're 80, you go, I have a meaningful life. And your meaning is going to pivot and adjust probably just as much as your sense of identity, because I believe that they should be parallel. That's such a good point because so often it's like, well, what is my purpose? And they're like looking for a one word, one sentence direction for that. But for me, one of the things, one activity I did at one point that was really helpful was actually figuring out where things that I really loved coincided with things that I didn't. It was like the light versus the shadow side of things. And one of my downfalls at that time, what I perceived as a flaw was that I'd realized like I was reading a book on like how to listen, how to win friends and influence people maybe. And I was like, you know, listen more than you speak. And I was like, oh, I do not do that. Hence why I started a podcast. But it's it's forced me to practice this because I'm interviewing the guest, you know, but I remember thinking like, okay, so I can't stop talking. Does that make me narcissistic? Does that make me self-centered? What is it? And I was writing down all of these other things that I loved. And what I ended up figuring out is so much of it came 
down to expression and mm. then wanting to be seen. And so it was this combination of those two. And when I was able to just look at that shadow side from a new perspective, again, it was one of those like releasing the shame moments. Mm. And the moment that happened, it was like my attachment to that behavior dissipated a little bit. I could let it go because, you know, this thing that was trying to be known showed itself. I got the hint, <laughs> moved on. Still something I work on, but that was really helpful. And the other thing was, around that expression led me to a whole other idea of what this meaning for me looks like. And one of the reasons I find that I feel so disconnected when I'm in, like, I go through phases of tech addiction, like waking up. And one of the first things you do is be on Instagram. I'm pretty good at that. I've got my meditation routine and my yoga routine, but then I'm breastfeeding and I've realized that as much progress that I make, you're currently breastfeeding. It's just almost unfeasible to really break that social addiction. But I, I've realized that there's a difference in the way I feel about my life, because in one instance, I'm like consuming and I'm not embodying, I'm not expressing, I'm not living into that expression, like really being in my body, connecting Mm. with the world in a non-digital way. And for me, that's just one of the things that helps me find that meaning every day. I can still make a lot of meaning on the internet. It's still a huge part of my business. But as far as what I need to fill my cup, to feel like I was a human that day. (laughs) I need to like get outside and be in my body, move it, connect with somebody. And just by nature of doing that, it's like you find these pockets of moments where you're like, oh, that was meaningful or that was life or that was expression. And we didn't really get to talk about it too much, but in my book, I have a whole chapter on the body, which is one of my favorite chapters that I wrote. And I think asking yourself, when do I feel most like me? is such a great way to lead you towards your meaning. And for a lot of people, that's moments of embodiment. No one has ever said, I feel most like me when I'm on Instagram. I have never heard that ever. But if that's how we're spending our time, we're spending our time mostly not feeling like ourselves, not in a way that's truly meaningful. And I think a meaningful life is a life you say yes to, the inner consent. It's the life you can stand behind. It doesn't mean it's not a life full of mistakes, but it's a very intentional life. It's a life that's felt and tasted and experienced and worn out. And I think we're so scared of our own existence, but I think what actually makes life meaningful is engaging with it. And so figuring out when do I feel most like me can be helpful. And sometimes depending of where you are in your journey, just going, why do I bother waking up? Like, what is my number one motivation for waking up? All of these things, everything we do leads us to our meaning. And I know that A lot of people don't think about meaning until they feel like it's been lost because meaning is something we don't cognitively think about. It's actually something that we live, which I think is really, really cool. I love that. I usually leave listeners with one thing to focus on this week to really bring some of this stuff to life. And that's such a good one is asking yourself, when do you feel most like you? Because Mm. We think we have the answers intuitively, but if we don't give ourselves space to let that answer arise, to sit with ourselves, then it's like that quote, something along the lines of, if you don't figure out who you are, society will do it for you or something like that. I think it was in your book. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was (laughs) like Rollo May. Yeah, exactly. And we should stop allowing society to do that. And we should stop asking society to do that. Sometimes it's not imposed. Sometimes it's sought out. And so I think it's okay if your honest answer is, I don't know who I am. I still think that's better and more genuine and more authentic than choosing an answer that's not yours. Well, thank you so much for your book. I actually was drawn to your book because in one of my coaching programs, I was talking to somebody and they're like, I I read I started following Sarah Kubrick and she had this book and and it just changed my life. And I was like, got to get her on the podcast. And so then I read it and I was like, oh, this is so good. And so for listeners who are, have just been vibing with this conversation, check out her book. It's on me. Where can listeners find you and your book? The best place to connect. Yeah, for sure. So I'm most active on Instagram. My handle is at millennial.therapist. I also do have a sub stack called notes from my phone, which is weekish 
weekly-ish newsletters where I dive into these existential questions a little more because social media is not always a great platform for that. So if you want to connect, I'm really stoked about that platform and I'm trying to have more time for my community there. And then my book, you can find it anywhere books are sold. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 336. Your challenge for this week is to ask yourself the question, when do I feel most like me? This can give you so many insights into who you truly are, but I will give you a word of warning. If you haven't spent that much time reflecting on questions like this, you might feel a little lost at first. But what I don't want you to do is start developing beliefs around what comes up or doesn't come up quite yet. Right now, we wanna practice being that open channel for wisdom, both our own universal consciousness, however you like to look at this. I'm thinking back to a time where I felt really lost and I kept asking myself, well, what is my purpose? And I was so used to asking any questions through the lens of what is success? What do other people do? What's cool (laughs) that, Those are the things that came up initially. It was really hard for me to start getting clarity on who I was and what I wanted in this life. And so I encourage you, if you're there, just keep allowing, just keep intending that you are going to connect with that inner voice and wisdom. Don't sit there and allow things to come and be like, well, is that right? And focus more on the second guessing. Don't focus on the doubt. Just focus on the openness and the receptivity. And guess what? If you need help with this process, you are listening to this at just the right time. Literally tomorrow, if you're listening to this when this dropped on Tuesday, tomorrow, February 21st, I kick off with a group guiding them through this exact thing. Who am I? What am I meant for? What is my biggest vision? And how do I align my life right now so that I'm constantly making progress toward that vision to create a life that truly fulfills me? This is what we're doing together. As of recording this, we have two spots left. I'm very selective as to who gets into this group because this is a container full of people that know they're meant for something more and just need that structure, that accountability to unearth those clarifying pieces, to reprogram their minds to look at life through a new lens, to see endless possibilities, to see things through the lens of who we are so that we know what to say no to and what to say yes to. So that when we do take a step, we're taking it so confidently that failure is not an option because you trust yourself, you know yourself, and you know that this is the vision that you're all in on. So if you're interested in this, please reach out to me. You can send me an email at melissa at mindlove.com. You can connect with me on social media at mindlovemelissa. I have quite a few posts talking about soul strength activation there. So we have one day left to enroll. And if it is exactly the right fit, we can actually go through to the end of the week. So please reach out if you're feeling called. Check in with me to make sure it's not too late regardless of what date you're seeing right now, because this could be the most life-changing opportunity of your life. I will also say that the level of access that you will get to me during this three-month program is higher than any of the future programs. It's gonna just be a totally unique, intimate experience. So I can't wait for you to join us. Again, reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or send me an email, melissa at mindlove.com and let me know that you're feeling the call. We can hop on a quick call and see if the program is right for your specific situation. You can also find all of my amazing sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.